0: Spotlight, we're in the TritonCast studio hanging out on YouTube with Triton track and field alum Zainab Torabi. The 2022 grad tells us how she got into hurdles, what it was like to move around so frequently in her youth, and the hard-hitting details of her post-track meat meal. Today, Z works for the athletics department in video production, capturing the Triton's most memorable moments during competition. You'll really enjoy this week's conversation with Zainab Torabi coming up in a moment in this week's Triton Spotlight. Welcome to episode 81 of Triton Cast, the podcast for UC San Diego Athletics. I'm Jeff Turiel. Whether you found us on UCSDTritons.com or on your favorite podcast platform, thank you for making us part of your day. If you enjoy the show, take a moment to subscribe, rate us, or write a brief review. And a special welcome to those of us watching this week's episode on the UCSD Tritons YouTube channel. Before we get to this week's conversation with Triton alum Zainab Torabi, let's go around campus. Congratulations to all 104 Tritons honored on the Big West Spring All-Academic team. Once again, UC San Diego led the conference with the most honorees on that team. So impressive. 44-year women's tennis head coach Liz LaPlante has retired, and there's a great retrospective of her career on UCSDTritons.com. You'll definitely want to check that out. And now that we're into July, fall competition will begin next month. Women's volleyball, cross-country, and men's water polo schedules are now online. Now let's move on to this week's Triton Spotlight. Here's our conversation with athletics video producer and Triton track and field alum, Zainab Torabi. So let's start with the beginning, when did you get into track and field? How young were you when you started being a little athlete?
1: (laughs) Honestly, I started pretty late. I would say sophomore year of high school. Wow. Um, I did volleyball in middle school and freshman year of high school. But because volleyball starts in the summer and I was always traveling during the summer, I kind of switched sports. And so I started track and field. Yeah. Sophomore year, I was um, at a high school in Michigan. Even then, like we wouldn't start practicing until like, you know, after spring break and stuff. So I definitely started really late in the game.
0: And why, why did you get involved with track and field? Was it just something to do something to try to be active?
1: I was always athletic growing up, but in middle school, I used to do cross country and I hated it, (laughs) but my favorite part of cross country was that at the end, you always finish the race with whatever you have left. And it's kind of like a sprint. And I always loved that part. And I was like, okay, if I like the fast running, maybe I should try track and field. And so in high school, once that was offered, I tried it. I liked it. I was good at it. And so I stayed with it.
0: And what events did you get started with?
1: I started with short sprinting. So I did like the 100, the 200. I was on the relays. And then randomly at one of my meets, my coach just threw me into a hurdles race. Honestly, like I didn't know how to hurdle, nothing. It was like a freshman, sophomore meet. They were like, oh, yeah, like we just need some points. Like you're fast. Just try to jump over the hurdles and I'm sure you'll place. And I did well. And he was like, you know, actually, let's keep you doing this for a little bit longer. And so that was the 300 hurdles at that time. And I stuck with it. And then my senior year of high school, I actually moved to California. And I finally had a hurdles coach. And I think that's when I had like my biggest improvement. But yeah, that's kind of how I got started in that. So it was just something I was kind of thrown into.
0: So that first time with the hurdles it sounds like you didn't even really have time to be nervous about it. It was just kind of, okay, I got to figure this out.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's honestly kind of how a lot of track is. Like you are so nervous, but once that gun goes off, like you can't be nervous anymore. Like you just go. Did
0: you like hurdles right away or was that something that was kind of, okay, I did that, but.
1: I mean, I liked, you know, It was interesting. It was new. It was definitely um, a learning curve for sure. The 300 hurdles is not easy. It definitely like the running and the jumping, it's a lot on your body. And, you know, I definitely felt the pain, but I think once I started getting better at it, once I learned how to do it better, I definitely did enjoy it. It was a love-hate relationship.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you you said that you moved to SoCal prior to senior year of high school and you actually had a hurdles coach. So what did you learn that you didn't know?
1: I mean, just a lot of technique. Like I had the running down, like the sprinting, that sort of thing, but then when it comes to the hurdles, you can lose a lot of your momentum if you don't know how to hurdle correctly. And so, you know, you kind of want to glide over the hurdle. You don't really want it to ruin your speed or anything like that. And I feel like I was always jumping. So it's kind of like a start and stop kind of thing. But once I got the technique down, driving into the hurdles, all of that, it became a lot more seamless and I improved my time a lot which helped me get here.
0: (laughs) How many times did you knock him over when you were figuring it out?
1: A lot. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I've fallen in high school in a race, got some battle scars to prove it.
0: So moving to a new state, a new region, as a senior in high school, athletics aside, that can be challenging. How did you adjust to life in Murrieta?
1: Honestly, it wasn't too much of an adjustment growing up. Honestly, I moved around a lot. It was just something that my parents, they were always looking for the next best thing, the best city, you know, where we had family, where we had friends. Before UCSD, I went to about 14, 12 to 14 different schools. Yeah. So coming to college was an easy transition for me. Coming senior year wasn't that hard.
0: So you went to that many schools. I'm not going to ask you to do it, but in your (laughs) mind, could you rank like, okay, I liked these, this one was, and these not so much?
1: (laughs) I'm not biased, but UCSD is at the top of my list. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I would have to really think about it to try to, you know, go through and I would definitely miss a couple. But usually I was out of school for about a year, but there was a couple times where it was like two in a year.
0: And again, just in terms of life, how, what were those adjustments like? I mean, it sounds like you kind of figured out a system to make friends and settle in that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I always made friends, but I think when you're moving every year, it's definitely hard to make deeper connections. It's kind of something that takes time. So I always had friends, but it wasn't honestly until I came to UCSD that I started creating those like lifelong friends, you know, and I do have lifelong friends that I've met over the years and stuff for sure. But I think this was kind of the first place that I was really able to settle down and set down roots. And, you know, even after graduating college, like I've stayed here, you know, I love it.
0: Well, we'll get into your adult career in just a few minutes. but what went into your decision to come to UC San Diego as a student?
1: Honestly, UCSD was on the bottom of my list when I was you know first applying and all that kind of stuff because my dad used to go here. And so I wanted to do something different, you know I wanted to explore, change it up a little bit. And with track and field when I was getting recruited, all the other schools I was talking to was D1. And I even got, like, a full ride offered somewhere. But, you know, my dad, he loved UCSD. He wanted me to at least come out, look at it, make an educated decision. And when I came here, honestly, like, it was, like, love at first sight. Even though it was, like, the only D2 school that I was talking to. Just something about being by the beach, all the facilities that we had. And then I met the coach and I met a bunch of people on the team and they were just super friendly. And it was just like, it was just a feeling I couldn't describe. But after I left, like it became my number one choice.
0: So your dad, if I'm not mistaken, played volleyball here. Is that right?
1: Just for a year. Right. Yeah. He played in 1993. I believe the coach at the time was Rod Wild. They was they were D three at the time too, which was really cool because he played in D three and then now I've done D two and D one here. So we've kind of, you know, been a part of each transition. <laughs> Didn't
0: leave anything left for your brothers, huh? Mm-mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you came on your visit, you loved it. What was it about um, the coaching staff and the team that at least that you met on that initial visit that kind of made you feel like this could be home?
1: Honestly, they were just so friendly. I would say like it just really felt like a family and that was really what sold me was just that feeling you know, of everybody being connected. Everyone was so nice. Um, And it was, it was just a beautiful campus, beautiful facilities. I couldn't even tell that it was a D2 school because some of the D1 schools I was looking at were completely run down. You know, the track is so far removed from everything else. Like it was, you know, we have a lot of great facilities here. And so I really
0: like that. So after you come on that visit, UC San Diego moves up higher on your list. Uh, was it a done deal in your mind at that point? Assuming you were able to get in,
1: yeah, I would already gotten in okay. before I'd even um, talked to the coach because I kind of I got recruited late because I came to California my senior year. Right. Track is a spring sport. After I came for oh. the visit, it became like top of my list, and then. I just thought about it some more and I, I went with it. I knew that there was talks of going D1. And so that was kind of what sold me was, you know, OK, even though they're not D1 right now, they'll probably head there soon. And so I'll still get what I was looking for.
0: And so in your time as a Triton, what are some of your favorite memories?
1: Um, definitely a lot of the people that I've met. I feel like a lot of people say that, but it's true. Like you are, you know college athletics, it's like a part-time or a full-time job even, you know, like you spend so much time training, that sort of thing. Having a good group of people really makes that easier because it's a lot of work. Um, and so just going to practice, laughing with my friends, being able to, you know, kind of break up some of the seriousness and the hard training with some laughter really helped. That would definitely be, yeah, I've made like lifelong friends. I still hang out with them, you know, like we did a bonfire the other day. Um, I even had lunch with my coach yesterday. There's still a huge, part of my life. And that's something that I've taken, you know, even after I've graduated.
0: Athletically, what was the adjustment like from high school to college in terms of hurdles?
1: It was a lot. It was definitely a lot more the volume that I was used to, a lot more training, just the workouts were so much harder. And so it was definitely an adjustment for me, but I've never one to back down. I will always push myself through it. And so it was a wake up call, but you know, i I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do and I'll put in the work and it was a lot on my body too. But thankfully I never had any like crazy injuries, but just being in spikes more and that sort of thing. Like I definitely took a lot more ibuprofen than I thought I would be, but it was good. It was good.
0: Where was your first collegiate meet? Do you remember?
1: That's a good question. I don't, I want to say one of the Pomona ones, but um, honestly I don't remember. It was like six years ago. It's
0: okay. That's, we'll, <laughs> we'll let that go. So As a Triton, everybody has their own system, but clearly this is a challenging institution academically. You mentioned the time commitment in terms of practice and getting ready for meets and so on. What was your system for staying organized and kind of keeping yourself together?
1: In high school, I never really studied. And so when I came to college, I was like, okay, I have to spend some time, read the material, actually study. So that was an adjustment. You know, you learn. Um, Thankfully, my major wasn't, you know, extremely hard. It wasn't like a STEM major or anything. I did business marketing and communications um, because, you know, I love video production. And that's kind of, you know, what I've transitioned to after college. Really learned how to time manage, for sure. Being a college athlete, you really structure, like, every moment of your day, you know, and I would still make time just to relax and that kind of thing too, because I don't want to get burnt out either. But, um, I definitely had to be a lot more rigid with, you know, okay, I need to study at this time. I have practice at this time. I need to work around my schedule. And it really forced me to, um, just learn some great time management skills, which has helped me, you know, post-college.
0: And just because you needed more to do, you were involved with Triton Athletes Council. (laughs) I know you were the publicity chair at one point. how'd you get involved with TAC?
1: Um, Just even in high school, I was always involved in, you know, clubs and extracurriculars and stuff. And so when I came to college, the only thing I was really involved in was track and field. And it was a little weird to me. So when I heard of TAC, um, I joined my sophomore year and I was in the publicity committee, um, loved it because, you know, I love video production, content creation, that kind of stuff. And then ran for the position my junior year and I had that position for two years. But yeah, just... It's something that I always like to do. I like to stay busy. I love extracurriculars. In high school, I was part of like our school's newscast, our yearbook, our National Honor Society, because that was a thing in Michigan, Um, Key Club. I even started like a UNICEF club with my friend. So I needed something, like something else.
0: So on the publicity committee and then later as chair under your regime, what kinds of things did you do? What was your charge?
1: I would say probably my favorite thing that I did being head of publicity was we released a series called Triton Stories Untold. And it's honestly kind of like what you're doing now. I loved learning about the stories behind athletes and kind of who they are more than just their sport. And so we did that like as a social media campaign and we would recruit photos and we would get stories. I'd have, you know, everyone that worked with me. They would, you know, reach out to their teammates, to their friends, get cool stories of athletes, you know, who do something cool beyond their sport or even if it is something to do with their sport. You know, just kind of getting to know them a little bit further, getting to know what's behind the roster picture.
0: And how did you and your staff? I don't know. Is that what we call them? Your, your group? <laughs> My committee. That's right. How did, how did you all find those stories? How did you find these compelling, interesting things about your Fellow scholar athletes.
1: We kind of divvied up the sports between all of us. And so if they had a connection or someone that they knew, it was all just talking, you know, like, hey, I know this person on the soccer team. Do you know anybody on your team that has a cool story or has, you know, something interesting that they could tell? And so it was kind of like a grassroots effort, but it was very successful. And we got a lot of stories. You know, I'm sure there was even some we didn't even have time to post. So
0: we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. It wasn't very fun. Um, but you were granted an extra year of eligibility and you decided to come back for that fifth year. What went into that decision for you?
1: Um, you know, there was a lot of accomplishments that I still wanted to achieve in track and field. And so. I just, I felt like my work wasn't finished yet, you know, and I was team captain my last year, but it was, you know, kind of during COVID. And so there's a lot of things you couldn't really do with that role. And so I wanted to come back knowing that things would be a little bit more normalized. I just, honestly, I wasn't ready to leave yet. (laughs) I loved everything so much. And with that extra year, I was like, I don't want to regret something later in life. Like, oh, what if I, you know, didn't take that other year? Like I could have, you know, done so well. I could have, you know, had these accomplishments. I didn't want to live with any regret.
0: All right. Not your sport, but we'll play softball for a second. Uh, Any, (laughs) any, uh, any regrets about Staying that extra year?
1: No, definitely no regrets. Um, my fifth year was my best year in track and field. Moved up on the all-time list. It was great. You know, we finally had a more normal year to you know have like team bonding activities that sort of thing. I did a lot. You know, I I was still interning. I made a lot of connections my last year. I think it was definitely the right decision.
0: What accomplishment or accomplishments are you most proud of athletically from your time as a Triton?
1: For my time as a Triton, I would say my sophomore year, I had a really good race. I qualified for nationals. Um, That was in our division two era. Um, I got a provisional mark with that. I moved up on our all-time list to number eight all-time. So that was really cool. I didn't go to nationals because you have to have like a higher ranking. They take the top like 20. I think I was like number 30 in the nation at the time. So that was really cool. So, you know, the next year I, you know, was supposed to go hopefully, but you know, COVID happened. It's okay. But then my fifth year, I would say I, you know, had even better races, moved up on the all-time list to number seven. I would say those are some of my most like proud accomplishments um, I was a part of the relay team last minute I was covering for someone who wasn't feeling well and so I took their team on the or took their spot on the relay and we got number eight all time with that so wow. you know just leaving a little bit of a piece of me you know in high school I had school records and stuff so I like leaving a little bit of me wherever I go <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it sounds like filling in on that that relay race you just mentioned again another time where it's like okay I gotta figure this out not a chance to be nervous.
1: Oh yeah, no. I mean, I was always in contention with the 4x4 relay. It's just with the 400 hurdles, it's, you know, I'm really tired after that race. Like it, it takes a lot out of you. And so I never, you know, fought for that position on the 4x4 relay. It was always like me or one other person. And so we would kind of switch between going in and going out. I also do the 100 hurdles and that's one of the first events. And so doing one of the first events and then doing one of the last events, you have to be ready all day. And I get nervous at track meets. I don't eat food. I like to relax after, you know, I'm done, but I can't, eat before I'm done racing. So doing the first of it, like one of the first events and one of the last events, it's a lot cause track meets are long. And so, you know, never fought for that position, but I was always, you know, you, when you're one of the stronger, like 400 runners, you always have to be ready.
0: I'll be honest. This is a low key food podcast. So <laughs> when the meet is over, what are you eating?
1: Oh my God. Okay. My guilty pleasure was Chick-fil-A milkshakes after what track flavor? meets. What um, flavor? It was like the cookies and cream flavor. Okay. Yeah, no, because and sometimes I get nervous. I don't like to eat a lot of sugar before track meets. I try to eat, you know, super healthy the days leading up to it. And so I would always go like the night after. I was like, I deserve this. I have a week before my next race. Like, I'll burn this off. Don't worry. So Chick-fil-A milkshakes were my guilty pleasure.
0: Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> no no. Well, yes, I am judging you, but that's amazing. Great, great job.
1: <laughs> as long as you are not judge me about the mozzarella sticks from two weeks ago.
0: <laughs> well, that's for another episode. Uh, so I know you're a multi-time team captain. What did you see your role as in terms of being a captain? What What did that mean to you?
1: For me, honestly, I think the type of team captain that I wanted to be was lead by example, just always doing the workouts and never taking it easy, just leading by example. I never wanted to be like an authoritative figure or anything like that, you know, just be a good example for people and hopefully they'll follow suit. And also just being fun or have people let loose for a little bit, bring a smile on their face, you know, because some of those workouts, they're not easy. And so I was always joking. They were always like, how do you have so much energy? And I mean, that's just kind of the person that I am. Like I will always have energy no matter what. I, you know, sign up for a lot of things, but that's the kind of person that I wanted to be as a team captain was just being a friend. And I love to encourage people, you know, track. it's not an easy sport. And so I would always, you know, comfort people after races when they didn't do as well as they wanted to, you know, I just, I wanted to be a friend and that's kind of the role that I took.
0: Maybe subconsciously in your early years at UC San Diego, looking back on it now, did you have some teammates as captains that you either thought did a good job or maybe, not so good a job and did that maybe help mold how it was when it was your time to be a captain?
1: I would say I never had a bad experience with a team captain. Some of my best friends like Claudia Cox, Joseph Polk, they were other hurdlers with me that were the team captains before me. They're a little bit older. I mean, they were some of my best friends. And so they were also very similar in that way, like Joseph Polk. Oh, my God. I, we were at the team captains at the same time one year and we would just bounce off of each other. And, you know, I feel a little bit bad with some of the teasing I've done to him, but it was just kind of the <laughs> dynamic that we had. And, you know, that kind of brought smiles on people's faces and stuff. So I learned from them. I took after their example. And that's what I enjoyed having those types of captains and stuff. And so I want it to be the same way.
0: We're chatting with Zainab Tarabi this week on Triton Cast. Where does your interest in video production come
1: from? I've been interested from a very young age, well, since high school, I would say. It's all relative. Um, <laughs> it's all relative exactly. It was just, you know, I loved filmmaking and movies and all of that sort of thing. I wanted to try it out, and so my very like first job in the industry or whatever, I was the video coordinator and like team manager for our men's varsity basketball team as a, you know, young sophomore in high school. It was really funny. Um, but I would film their games and I'd burn those games onto like CDs and stuff for the coach so that, you know, you could watch game footage and give it to the families and that sort of thing. So that was kind of my introduction to like sports video and all that kind of thing. Whatever I got paid from that is how I bought my first camera. So and I still have that camera today. That's so cool. But yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And so, when I was an undergrad at UCSD, I, you know, was interning under Nick Feller. I did a lot of like creative stuff. I've worked on the ESPN broadcasts. Um, kind of always got involved with that. My coach knew that this was something I was interested in, and so she introduced me to Nick Feller, and he kind of got me started in this thing. And I mean, now that's what I do post graduating. So
0: yeah, and and. When you were in high school filming the games, that's not exactly creative, right? It's functional and operational and very important. Mm-hmm. But where did the kind of creative piece come from for you?
1: Well, they also asked me to do like an end of the season highlight uh, reel sort of thing. And, you know, I really enjoyed that. Creating feelings, creating emotions, telling a story. I love doing that. It's, you know, I've always been a creative person. It's why I was on Yearbook. It was why I was on Newscast and that sort of thing. So finding the right avenue has been, you know, honestly pretty easy for me.
0: Was there a point while you were maybe working with Nick in the athletics department as an undergrad where you decided you wanted to pursue this, you know, post-graduation?
1: I kind of always figured that I would, you know, use this as good experience and interning and that sort of thing. I never really thought about what kind of job I wanted to do post-college. Like, what industry, but I think just with the connections that I've made and, you know, it was so easy for me to acclimate. I feel like I've known so many people. Like I remember when I first met you in the office, I was like, yeah, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted to build a portfolio for sure. Not being an athlete and being able to dedicate more time to actually learning a lot. I've learned so much under my boss, Andrew Fisher and Steven Callista, And so I just really wanted to hone those skills first if I take it anywhere else.
0: Was there an adjustment you had to make going from an undergrad to now a department employee? Because obviously some of your friends are still scholar athletes here and now you're supposed to be a real adult.
1: Yeah, a real adult. I'm definitely still learning, you know. No, it's been cool. It's. I feel like I haven't left college, honestly, even though I have more responsibility on me. Um, I'll still walk around campus and I get recognized by my friends and all that kind of stuff. But now most of them are graduated this year, so I don't know what's gonna what it's going to be like. It hasn't been too much of an adjustment. Um, I would say I have a lot less time to you know hang out with them and that sort of thing, but everyone's busy. And-
0: so tell us kind of day to day what you do in your role
1: day to day. um, coming to the office. I work with, (laughs) I work with Andrew Fisher. And so he's always giving me um, projects to do. Um, We kind of tag team a lot of things. Um, What I love about my job is that there's a lot of variety in it. Like sometimes you're in the office editing, sometimes you're out filming sometimes you're doing this, you know? So um, it's really cool. Your day never looks the same, honestly, which is what I really love. I love not having like a, a boring nine-to-five. You know, there's so much variety. You're in the office, you're out of the office, you can work from home, you can, you know, work in the office. It's it's pretty cool. But I would say it changes a lot day by day.
0: Are there sports that maybe you were less familiar with that you had to kind of learn or figure out on the fly?
1: Definitely, yeah. Um, baseball is one for sure. Um, I know it's a big sport, but I didn't understand the innings or the top or the bottom or what the cage... I mean, I don't know if there's a cage. I'm still learning, but... Um, <laughs> There's definitely been some adjustments, but it helps to know about the sports when you're filming it because then you kind of know like, oh, this might be a strikeout. Like I should go to this position or, you know, I should film it from this angle and that kind of thing. So I have learned a lot and it's helps me create better videos because now I know like, oh, when an important moment is kind of coming up or that sort of thing. But yeah, just going to different sports, learning, you catch on pretty quickly. And I like to talk to people and figure out like, okay, what does this mean? Or, you know, that kind of thing. So definitely, definitely learning some of those other sports
0: what's that feeling or that emotion like when you know that you just got the shot
1: it's honestly like you have to stay calm because you are still filming and you don't want to you know like ruin the shot and so it's like this like internal like you have do this little happy dance (laughs) but you have to like you know be cool and collected is there
0: footage of this happy dance do we have it from another angle Not
1: yet. i'm sure we can find it i don't know i'm not gonna look for it
0: (laughs) got it so when you're in the moment at an event covering a game and something big or important happens, and you you just said you have to stay composed and kind of keep going. But sometimes, whatever that is that you just captured, they need it turned around pretty quickly to put out on social media or whatever the case might be. So how do you transition from shooter to editor and kind of get that done quickly?
1: It's not too bad, I would say. Sometimes a lot of the you know fast turnaround stuff, like I'll just give the footage to my boss um, and you know, cause we'll both be filming for like big games and that kind of thing. But no, there has been times for sure, but it's not too bad. You just, you know, you plug in your SD card, you go, you know, you're still happy and all this kind of stuff and the adrenaline is still there, but because you know what the shot looks like, it, it makes it a little bit easier when you're doing it immediately.
0: So for some of us, video editing for, for what we do, I'm pointing at myself if you're not watching on YouTube, is, okay, there's the basket, right? So there's the start, there's the end, okay, there's the basket, now I can tweet it out or whatever the case might be. But a lot of what you do, the creative content is putting together uh, with music and with sound and emotion and reaction and kind of telling the story that way visually, which can be so impactful. How do you look at a blank slate and come up with those kinds of amazing finished pieces?
1: It honestly just depends on what footage you have, you know, kind of what emotion you want to tell. Is it, is it something serious? Is it something, you know, super hype? You know, is it something emotional? You you really just take that feeling and you'll run with it. You'll find a song that matches. You'll edit it a certain way if it's, you know, something that's a little bit more serious. It'll be like longer cuts, that kind of thing. And so there's kind of a formula, but then at the end of the day, it's, it's all creative and it's kind of just what you end up creating. And so, um, it just depends on the emotion that you're trying to create.
0: When you're working on a, a longer piece like that, and you have a deadline that's weeks away, whatever the case might be. Um, how do you go about like, what's your cadence? What's your process for taking whatever's been shot, whether you shot it or it was handed to you and then coming up with that, that finished piece?
1: planning it out helps a lot. Um, Kind of trying to figure out, okay, what are the emotions? What's the story? That sort of thing. Trying to find the right footage. Um, So like recently I worked on a, Um, A video for baseball and we had a lot of success with that. I really wanted to highlight the fact that we were, you know, conference champions at the end of it. And so I had some footage from the trophy and all that kind of stuff that I used at the very end and kind of just, you know, telling that story of overcoming adversity and that sort of thing, taking play-by-play audio um, and just making everything work together to tell a story.
0: Is there a piece that you're most proud of so far?
1: Um, I would say I'm proud of, you know, almost like a lot of things. Um, I would say that one, it's my most recent project. And I honestly would say probably that's the thing I'm most proud of because I'm constantly learning, constantly getting better. And so I think that one was my first one where you could kind of really tell a story and we had a good story to tell. And so it makes it easier when we're winning conferences, you know, championships, that kind of thing. It makes it our job easier. That one was really cool. How
0: do you look at things or what's your perspective when Maybe a season isn't going so well, or you're shooting a game and it's not a great result for us. But you still need to output something. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you approach that?
1: It depends, but I would say you know just trying to get something that usually there's always a good moment. You know, um, there's always something that you can take from a game, and if not, like you'll you'll kind of create something. But whether it's like a moment that you know we thought we were there, like. I know there's been like some volleyball games that we've been super close, you know, to beating some ranked opponents and it's like kind of a newer team for us. We've lost a lot of our good seniors and stuff. So just moments like that where the energy was high, you know, that sort of thing. You can always usually find something.
0: What's your favorite sport to shoot?
1: Mm, that's a good one. Basketball's fun, you okay. know, cause there's a lot of energy in the crowd and, and you feel that, you know, the athletes feel that, that sort of thing, like that Cal game. I mean, I would say that was like probably my favorite thing to shoot. And it was just because, you know, being an athlete, I know what that feeling is like, you know, I know that that adrenaline and when all the energy is there and you have fans hyping you up, that sort of thing. Like it really does help your performance and it puts you in a zone that sometimes you wouldn't get if you didn't have all those fans and that kind of thing. So anything that has high energy, basketball is super fun. Something I haven't done yet is swim. I feel like that would be really cool. It looks super cool. So, you know, I love trying to get like stuff that looks a little bit cool. Golf would be fun. It's, you know, on a great facility, that sort of thing. But right now I'd say basketball. it's a And I mean, sorry, track and field. Obviously. (laughs) Obviously, that was the first one. I completely forgot about that. (laughs) That's just so obvious. (laughs) Yeah, I want to
0: ask you about that, because when you went to cover track this year, now as an employee and not a member of the team, first of all, was that weird? And second of all, how do you approach a sport like that where there is so much going on and it's over such a large area and you may be by yourself, the only one there capturing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely being a track and field athlete, it helps. I know a lot about what's going on, you know, where I can stand, where I can't, where they're going to come, that sort of thing. Um, so that helps a lot. I can really kind of plan. But yeah, it's a it's a sport where there's always something going on. There's always something to be filming. Um, and it's a long period of time. So definitely, you know, gain some muscles carrying that camera and that sort of thing. I think definitely having that experience, it helps.
0: You mentioned uh, a minute ago working with Andrew Fisher and sometimes you're both covering the same event. So when that's the case, when there's more than one of you there, how is that assignment broken up or who's concentrating on what?
1: We always have like a game plan whenever we talk. um, If there's anything specifics going on about the game, like if we're featuring someone, like, you know, one of us will cover like who we're featuring. One of us will get crowd shots, that sort of thing. We have that dialogue. And then what I like to do is during games, I like to see where he is. And I like to be like on the opposite side, you know, if he's in one corner, I'm not going to be in the same corner filming. Um, so I like to kind of know where he's at and I'm sure he does the same. If I see him like for the Cal game, I saw him covering the last point. I got the crowd shots. Cause I knew that we wanted, you know, both of those moments, you know, we have that dialogue and it comes out to something good.
0: And I assume that kind of feel that understanding just comes with experience and practice and
1: yeah definitely you know over time we've kind of learned our you know filming habits and that sort of thing so just getting to know someone too it helps
0: what about an individual sport like a tennis or a golf where there are multiple teammates competing at the same time and they're all doing the same kind of thing but not in the same place so how do you balance your time or judgment that way
1: I like to focus on seniors sometimes, you know, if there's a lot of people going at once, that kind of thing. Sometimes we'll get like a list of people we should be covering. But yeah, focusing on seniors. But I do like to try to get a little bit of everybody. And so if I've already covered one person, you know, I'll try to go somewhere else and cover someone else and just cover all of my bases, you know, so that at least we have something of everyone.
0: What about the weather? How does that play a role in what you're trying to do?
1: (laughs) Um, It depends on the day. Luckily, we live in San Diego. You know, we don't have to deal with it too much. I haven't been out when it's been raining or anything like that. Just dressing for the weather accordingly, I would say. I always have like, you know, an extra jacket in my car, but I haven't had any like, you know, super bad experiences or anything like that. You know, knock on wood.
0: (laughs) So Z, you told us that during a track meet when you were competing, you wouldn't eat until after it was over. Now that you're covering a track meet, what's in the bag? What kind of snacks we got here?
1: Same thing. It's so jam-packed. I don't have time to eat. (laughs) But I mean, I've only done like two events. Both of those were during Ramadan, which is like the Muslim month where you're fasting and stuff. So I honestly, I wasn't eating.
0: Would you be competing during Ramadan?
1: Before I came to college or before I started doing track and field, I did practice Ramadan, like, you know, pretty strictly. But ever since I started doing sports, it wasn't super realistic. There was... One year where I tried doing it, I believe it was my fourth year. I didn't eat food, but I drank water because I was going to practice. Like, if I didn't drink water, I was going to pass out, you know? So I was like, okay, I have the intention of, you know, still doing it, that sort of thing. I wouldn't fast on track meet days just during the week for practice, but I lost a lot of weight. I lost a lot of muscle. um, So I didn't do that the next year. I was like, you know what? After I graduate, that's when I'll start taking it more seriously. Um, I'm sure, you know, people will understand.
0: Was your family, were you religious growing up?
1: My family is very religious. Yeah, I would say um, I'm very spiritual, believe in God, faith, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, as we're young, we're learning, you know, it's a different time, that sort of thing. So everyone has their journey.
0: I know you were in Michigan most recently before you came to Southern California. There's a big Muslim population there, isn't there?
1: There is not in the town that I grew up in. Um, I was honestly like the only Middle Easterner in my entire school. Um, not very much diversity at all. So coming to somewhere where there's a little bit more diversity has been really cool, but yeah, no, it was like a very, um, like white town, that sort of thing. And I made a lot of great friends and stuff, but yeah, I was always kind of, you know, like the only one that looked like how I did.
0: Was that difficult for you or is that just, that's what you knew?
1: That's all I knew, honestly. Um, I would say it influenced me a little bit. Like, you know, I have blonde hair now. (laughs) I'm kidding. I love, you know, making all types of friends. And so that's what I was comfortable with, that's what I knew. A lot of my friends. That's what they are here. I've started making more like Middle Eastern friends too, which has been cool. And I like having a variety. So the past couple of years I've been living with other like Persians and, you know, Lebanese and that sort of thing. And it's been really cool because, you know, we can share a lot of like, you know, same tastes in music and that sort of thing. Um, the food. Oh, my God, it's great.
0: Yes. Yeah, it was. That was. That's where we were headed next. <laughs> Again, this is a low key food podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, what's what are some of your favorite things to cook or eat?
1: Um, you know, I'm I'm still learning how to cook. I wouldn't say I'm the best. Um, it's okay. You're young. <laughs> being you know a college athlete, that sort of thing. You never really had that much time. In undergrad, I had a job as a server at a restaurant called True Food Kitchen, and I always get food from there because the food's really good quality, that sort of thing. But I started making a lot of food similar to that, and it's a lot of like protein, quinoa, um, that sort of thing, vegetables. Um, so that's kind of what I know how to make. I just recently made like salmon and veggies. Um, So I'm learning, but my dad recently got me a cookbook actually for my birthday. And it's an Afghan cookbook. So got some recipes I got to start learning. Amazing.
0: (laughs) What's your favorite Afghan food?
1: Um, It's the same as every other Afghans. It's this dish called mantu. It's basically like these dumplings with yogurt and meat and all these different spices. And it's, you know, time consuming to make, but it's it pays off. It's so good.
0: When you get that recipe down, you'll have to bring some in. It sounds amazing.
1: (laughs) I will. (laughs) And
0: Z will end here. I, I read on, on your website bio, so I don't know when you wrote this or said this or made this claim, but I just need to verify here that you don't like the inside of the Oreo. Is that right? (laughs) That can't okay. be
1: right. <laughs> the frosting in between Oreos, it's so sweet, like too sweet, you know? So I like to break up the cookie and just eat the chocolate part.
0: But it's still going to have some of the goo on it, right? Or like, do you scrape it clean?
1: Yeah, sometimes I scrape it clean. Sometimes I don't. You know, if, if I'm having a lot of Oreos, I will scrape off, you know, a lot of it. <laughs>
0: what do you do? put it on the, on the side? Do you donate it to a friend? What happens to that? Because that's the best part as I the rest know. of us know.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean, some friends have taken it for sure, but I've okay. definitely, you know, I've thrown away a lot of it. <laughs>
0: and are we talking like traditional Oreo or a golden Oreo? Yeah.
1: No, no, no. I don't like golden Oreos. Okay. Um, traditional Oreos for sure the way to go.
0: I would imagine, I'm no expert. I would imagine that maybe not Oreo brand, but there's probably a cookie that replicates that. That's just a you know stack of those cookies without the
1: in college, I ate a lot of Milano cookies, the mint chocolate flavored. Uh Um, I love mint chocolate and I love caramel chocolate. (laughs) I would say those are some of my favorites.
0: And I don't think those necessarily relate to Afghan food, right?
1: No, I would say I'm, you know, pretty (laughs) well-rounded in my food (laughs) tastes.
0: So let's get back to your job for a second Z and and what you do now. How can this be a springboard for you and and what do you want to do long-term or are you just loving what you're doing?
1: I'm um, definitely loving what i'm doing the sports world it's it's what I know it's you know i've <laughs> been in that industry, I've been, you know, competing for a long time. And so it was a very seamless transition for me. But what I'm really interested in is storytelling and that sort of thing. So I don't know eventually if I'll want to move into like films and production, that sort of thing. My uncle, he works in LA. He's got, you know, his own production company. So, you know, I'm trying to avoid moving to LA. It's not exactly the place I want to live. Um, but he does a lot of like sports short form content, that sort of stuff. Like he made the rebranding video for the commanders, that kind of thing. Oh, cool. So It's all very like sports related too. That's where my network is, but we'll see where life takes me.
0: Z, thanks so much for chatting with us this week (laughs) on TritonCast.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks to Z for sharing her story. You can check out her amazing video work and stellar photos on UCSDTritons.com and all over our social media channels. And if you're around her and want a snack, just make sure you get to that sleeve of Oreos before she decimates them. Well, be sure to join us for all new episodes of TritonCast all summer long and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a moment. New episodes of TritonCast premiere on Wednesdays. Thank you for listening to this week. And don't forget, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms by searching TritonCast wherever you get your pods. And a reminder, you can listen to any of our 81 episodes anytime you want on demand. Just visit ucsdtritons.com slash podcasts. For more on TritonCast, follow us on Twitter at TritonCast. And if you have a suggestion for a future guest, send us a tweet or email us at TritonCast at UCSD.edu. We'll see you back here later this month. You've been listening to TritonCast. TritonCast is a production of UC San Diego Athletics Communications. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your platform of choice. If you have show questions or comments or suggestions for future guests, email us at tritoncast at ucsd.edu. You can also follow the show on Twitter at TritonCast.